Bible, go to the book of Isaiah, we're going to start today to celebrate this incredible Jesus, amen? It's kind of interesting, you know, it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend, there's a lot of you walking in this morning, it's a dreary day, probably still got some food coma going on, you know, a little sluggish, but we have so much to be so excited about, amen? We have so much to praise Jesus about. He, he has done so much for us. So this begins Advent season. And Advent season usually begins, begins the first Sunday after Thanksgiving and goes up to Christmas. The word Advent means coming. And so we're celebrating, we're preparing uh, to celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. God in the flesh. And, you know, usually at Advent, and I, I do this too, and this is very appropriate. We talk about, you know, hey, in the, in the busyness of the season, the busy, how many of you have already decorated your house for Christmas? Just raise your hand. Be honest. Yeah. How many of you have outdoor lights going on? As, as we, all right, there you go. That's cool. How many of you have already started Christmas shopping? Anybody already finished Christmas shopping? Wow. You guys are on top of things. Nice. Keith, that would be. Whatever. Uh, yeah, so we're already in, inside this hustle and bustle. We got Christmas parties coming. You know, we've got, you got your connection group parties. We got Canaan family Christmas coming up, Christmas Eve services. You know, you just celebrated family. You got other family stuff planned coming up. It gets busy. And usually what, what happens in Advent is we try to, as pastors and church leaders, we try to, to get all of our people to, to take to be intentional and kind of saying time out to some of that to be able to really focus on what this is all about, which is very appropriate and very good. I was reading an a, a, a article not long ago, and it was about Advent, and it was about this young mother who expressed some kind of uh, regret or disdain for this approach. A mature believer, it seems like. But she says that during the Advent season, she longs for something more, not another guilt-induced exhortation about what she needs to do to get Christmas right, but a message of hope about what God has already done to put the world to rights in Jesus. And so I kind of resonate with that. You know, the purpose of this series is not to add stuff for you to do. The purpose of this season, the purpose of this series is for all of us to be able to take a step back and just say, just embrace and recognize and be thankful for what God has already done. Amen? So this isn't like a list of other to-dos. We're not going to have you read a bunch of other books and do other things. We just want you to, to relish. We just want you to kind of marinate this season, this series on all that God's already done to make all of this possible. So that's the purpose of this series. And so we're going to um, just look at Isaiah chapter nine. It's an incredible celebration of hope that we're going to see here today as we look at this passage. We're looking at two verses. We're going to look at chapter nine, verses six and seven. So if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. That'd be awesome. Isaiah chapter nine. Verse six and seven. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne 
of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful just for all that you have done. But God, also what you are doing and what you have promised and guaranteed that you will do. And so God, I just pray that starting today as we launch off into this Advent season, that God, we are truly, our mind is filled, our hearts are filled with gratitude, our hearts are filled with an awareness of all that you are doing. So God, just help us to worship you today, tomorrow, this week, every week as we get ready to celebrate one of the great miracles of you, God, becoming flesh, becoming one of us in order to save us. So to be honored, to be glorified, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, go ahead and be seated. Well, anytime you read a verse in the Bible, passage, you know, it's easy just to jump right in and read that. It says, oh yeah, that's the Christmas story. You know, for to us, a child is given. And so it's easy for us to, to jump to Christmas, right? But... This text has history, right? I mean, there's a context here. There's a lot of life and stuff going on when Isaiah the prophet received this revelation from the Lord and declared it to the people. It's, a, it's the late 700s BC, mid to late 700s BC. And here's the situation. Israel was divided. It was a divided kingdom. They had part of it took the name Israel up in the north. The other part had was, took the name Judah and was to the south. The northern kingdom of Israel started in about 933 BC, so it's roughly 200 years into the life of the nation of Israel after the split, and at no time in that 200-year history did they have a godly king, not a single one. From 933 all the way to 722 BC, when it would be destroyed, they did not have a single godly king. And so the prophets, they were, they were you know, testifying, they were prophesying, they were trying to get people to wake up and turn back to the one true God because God has declared that if they don't, judgment is coming. Well, judgment was on the rise. It was kind of on the horizon. There was this nation called Assyria. They were some bad people. They did bad things to people they conquered. In fact, if you've ever read the story of Jonah, everybody read Jonah, heard about Jonah, right? Jonah was told to go prophesy to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Jonah didn't want to go. Not because he didn't like God, but because he hated the Assyrians. He didn't want to go and prophesy to them. He didn't want to go and say, hey, you need to repent and turn back to God or God's going to destroy you. Because he knew that they would and he knew God would forgive them. Jonah did not want God to forgive people in Nineveh. He did not want them, him to forgive the Assyrians because they were horrible people. See, God is so much far gracious than we are, right? It's good news for us, by the way, amen, that God is gracious with us. Well, Jonah got all this because what was going on in the context here in Isaiah, they were about to conquer Israel. And in the midst of all this oppression, in the midst of what seemed hopeless, God gives them so much hope here in this prophecy. This prophecy is all about hope. It's about restoration. It's about that although today may look really bad and today may be very bad, it's not the end of the story because tomorrow's coming and God holds all things in his hands and that is good for us. 
tomorrow's coming. Maybe you've had a tough week. Maybe this is a tough season for you. But you know what? It's okay. God's in control. And tomorrow is coming. God has already written the end of the story. And, you know, like a lot of fairy tales we read, what's the last line in a lot of fairy tales? And they lived, what? Happily ever after. Life doesn't go that way. But eternal life does. This week might not end with you being happily ever after, but in the gospel, it's the way it ends. That we will, by God's grace, be with him forever, be reunited with loved ones who have also had faith in Christ and will be together forever. But in the moment, it's tough to see that. In the moment when you're terrified or when you're hurting, when your body's hurting or your heart's hurting because of a loss, it's hard to see that. Well, as we get to these passages, it's so filled with hope that God's going to bring this. And how's he going to do this? Through the gift of a son. To us, a child is given. The birth of the child. A remarkable answer. All the problems. I'm sure that it didn't, they didn't really get this when Isaiah first said this. Hey, the Assyrians are coming. It's going to be horrible. They're going to burn our city. They're going to do horrible things to us. They're going to kill many of us. They're going to take us off into captivity, maybe slavery. But God's going to send a child. That doesn't connect, does it? You hear that like, whoa, what? We don't need a kid. We need a king, right? We don't need a kid. We need someone with power and might. To us, child is given. Kind of an interesting solution to the dilemma. The birth of a child. Ray Ortland writes it like this. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of the world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. And so today we begin to unpack Jesus. Today he is the wonderful counselor. So we look at the name and we look at the big thought about wonderful counselor today. It's this. If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along. It's on the app or physical handouts you got. It says wonderful counselor. This is the name given to the child, but also refers to God himself. So Jesus reveals God to be the wonderful counselor. Interesting, here this, in this text, this incredible chapter of Isaiah 9 gives us the prophet's first major conversation of exposing Israel's coming king, the long-awaited Messiah. He had already mentioned the birth coming back in chapter 7. We didn't read that, but chapter 7, verse 14, is that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, right? God with us. But here in chapter 9, he elaborates at greater length about who this child will be using four more names, and we'll look at those in this series, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And how really, yes, it's coming of a child, but these are really God himself. God himself coming in the flesh. So what does this mean? Wonderful counselor. Number one, it means Jesus is wonderful. Therefore, God is wonderful. And we use that word a lot, wonderful. 
like the Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. Wonderful, full of wonder. That's what that means, right? The Hebrew word here for wonder can be translated a miracle or something to which we marvel. It's used to represent something very unusual and very extraordinary. Literally, a wonder of a counselor. That is an extraordinary counselor, or perhaps a counselor of wonders, one who counsels among amazing things. All but one time in the entire Bible this word is used. It's always used with God. It's wonderful. Filled with wonder. You know, sometimes I think, well, definitely it's true. We lose that sense of wonder with God a lot. We're so familiar with God. We pray to God. We we know a lot of the stories of God. We know some of our Bible stories, you know, the histories and that sort of thing. And we become so used to God that we lose the sense of wonder. I mean, how many of you really believe that God loves you? Yeah. That should fill us with wonder. Why would God love us? Wonder. Or we can look at the stars in the sky at night, and again, we get used to them because they're just there every night, except on cloudy nights like last night, but they're still there, right? We just can't see them. But the wonder of that, how God just created them into existence, and they are hundreds of millions of light years away. I mean, those are distances that our minds can't really grasp. And yet, He just spoke them into existence, filled with wonder. Or you travel, you go to the, the mountains. How many of you love the mountains? How many, mountains or beach? How many beach people we have? Raise your hand if you're a beach person. All right, what are mountains? You prefer mountains over the beach? All right, neither one. All right, neither one. Both, or both. How about both? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll go both. You go to either one of those. You see the vastness of the ocean. I mean, just as far as your eyes can see, nothing but blue. You know, and you get a little bit higher, you can even see the gradual curvature of the earth, which is blue, and it just goes on for as far as you can see. You go to the mountains, and you're like, just look up at the, the majesty of what God has created. Wonder. You know, my, my uh, wife's stepdad and some of our family went on this, they go on this hiking trip every year. They go up to the Smoky Mountains, and they hike a lot of the Smoky Mountains, and get on top of these high peaks looking over, you can see like five states, it's really cool place called Cleanman's Dome, and they just look at five states at once and just the majesty of God's creation. It's beautiful, incredible. But in our day-in-day life, you know, it's easy for us to lose that wonder. Try not to lose that. Be reminded of the wonder of God, that God, the creator of all those things, would choose to love you as a person, as an individual, and he already knows everything about you. He already knows all the stuff you've done, the good, bad, and the ugly, right? He knows all those bad attitudes you have right now. He knows the, thing, the things you're going to do, yet his love for you has never changed. It's never wavered. It's never become questionable. It is constant. He is wonderful. But number two, Jesus is the counselor. So God is the counselor. And when we we need to clarify this. When we hear the word counselor, don't think about therapist, right? It's not that kind. He's, I mean, yes, God can do that, but that's not what the concept here is in the text. He's the wonderful counselor. We should think strategist. In the ancient world, a counselor was someone who 
would advise the kings and devise plans for the kings, especially when it came to military operations. The high council was their chief military advisor. And so it's a way of talking about God's plans and his purposes, how God's plans and purposes, wonderful counselor, how God's plans and purposes should fill us with wonder, with awe. When we see his plans revealed through this child, we ought to sit back and marvel. You know, it's wonderful. It should make us say, wow. Just say wow with me. One more time. Say wow. Wow. I've been reading a book this week. Called, um, it's called, it's, it's on prayer. It's by a lady named Anne Lamott. But it's on three types of prayers. She calls them a help prayer, a thanks prayer, and a wow prayer. The name of the book is just help, thanks, wow. But it's really interesting, this wow part. So here's how she describes the response of wow. Wow, she says, is often offered with a gasp, a sharp intake of breath, when we can't think of another way to capture the sight of shocking beauty or the sight of shocking destruction or of a sudden unbidden insight or an unexpected flash of grace. Wow means we are not dulled to wonder. We click into being fully present when we've stunned into that gasp. Wow is about having one's mind blown by the mesmerizing or by the miraculous. Wow. Like this weekend, watching football, seeing this amazing catch, right? Or seeing the upsets that happened, like LSU went down. Sorry, Pastor Mike. You know, wow. Or, you know, Yesterday, watching Ohio State, Michigan, that was a great game. It was just wow after wow. But those wows cannot compare to the wow of God, right? Not even close. I mean, we see some one-hand grabs and amazing passes, great runs, good plays, just incredible athleticism, and go wow because I can't do those things, right? But take it to the whole, I mean, many more levels to get to the wow of God. So it means that to say that this child is to be born, this son was to be given, whose name is Jesus, a wonderful counselor, that God is wonder-filled wisdom for the world, causes us to say, wow. His plans blow our minds, mesmerizes us with the miraculous, shows us shocking beauty, unexpected flashes of grace, causes us to gasp, say wow. So let's let's talk about the wow factors. Jesus is wow. His wisdom is incarnation. When the the prophet Isaiah could only see an outline, we now are able to look back and see in full. This child that was to be born, this this son who was to be given, of course, we know, is Jesus. He is God's wonderful counselor. He is God's wisdom incarnate. He is the embodiment of God's saving plans for the world. Again, makes us say, wow, just just consider his incarnation. What a wonder that is, right? That God himself decided to redeem the world, to redeem all of us, to chose to unite, he chose to unite his divinity and humanity together. That's wow. That God would become one of us, the infinite, to take on the finite, the deity to come 
the baby. Who would ever come up with that? A sovereign and holy God wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. I mean, seriously? This is how God redeems the world. By becoming like us in every respect, yet being without sin. Just consider Jesus' life. Consider his life. He displayed the wisdom of God perfectly in all that he did, not just in his teaching, but in how he lived. He didn't, have, he didn't live high on the hog, right? He wasn't born in a palace. He didn't live among royalty. He wasn't clothed in robes and crowns. He lived in poverty, born in a manger, in lowliness, meekness, humility, born to a virgin, common man, a carpenter, a hard worker. He came to serve, not to be served. Second Corinthians tells us this, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, might become what? Rich, right? Wow. That's his life. Consider also his death. The Bible says he died in our place for our sins, not his own. He volunteered. He approached us, took the initiative and said, hey, Daniel, you don't deserve this. You've done nothing to attract me to you. But since I made you, I love you, I'm going to go another step. I'm going to take on your death and your punishment for you. So you're free. And he did. He died in our place. He died the death I deserved. That's why he came to live. He clothed himself in flesh. He came to live in order that he might die. We try to live as long as we can so we don't die, right? We embrace Jesus through faith so that we don't die, but we live forever. Jesus had a mission to die, to die a very specific death, namely your death and my death. Second Corinthians chapter five says, for our sake, He, the Father, made him the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, the Son, we might become the righteousness of God, the Father. Credible truth. Should make us say what? Wow. Absolutely. But more than that, because it was in our place, he had to endure the fury of God's wrath that was poured out on him for our sins. He was forsaken on the cross, we don't fully understand all that, that that means. But Jesus cried out. One of the seven statements from the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't understand how there could even be the possibility of a schism in the Trinity. This is perfect oneness. It was definitely fulfillment of scripture, but this mystery, we can't even grasp what it cost Jesus to take on our sin. God judged him based on our sin so you and I can receive mercy. The wonderful wisdom of God, salvation. Consider his resurrection. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He lay there for two whole days. So on the third day, against any precedent, this has never been done before. 
I mean, God and his men had raised me from the dead on a very, very, very few occasions. But no one ever came back on their own. God triumphed over the grave. Jesus won by rising from the dead. There's hope in the resurrection of Jesus. God defeats death by enduring death, conquering death, and rising again from the grave. What Isaiah could have only seen in outline. How is God going to do this? To us, a child is born, a son is given. How is this going to happen? How will this be accomplished? It was, it was mystery. The wow. Jesus, the embodiment of God's saving wisdom, filling us with delight, surprise, mesmerizing us with the unexpected grace. That leads us to number four. That's the angels. Wow. It's no wonder that whenever we find an announcement of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, we find angels just singing their hearts out as though they can't contain their excitement, their joy, their jubilation over what is about to take place. Remember the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field, Luke chapter two, right? Don't remember that? Just watch Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, it'll all come back to you, right? There were the shepherds watching over the sheep. Suddenly, there appeared what? A multitude, heavenly hosts, praising God, right? Glory to God in the highest. And they were saying, yep, I skipped that one. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The whole company of heaven showed up for this moment, this amazing moment of this child's birth Probably because they too were astonished. Probably because they too were saying, wow. Some scripture about this. About the the mercy and the mystery of what the angels didn't know. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look, to forget the angels are not omniscient. They don't know all things like God does. So why did they show up in droves? Wow, God is really doing this. You mean God is gonna become this child that the child prophesied about by Isaiah is actually God himself? Wow, what love, what grace, what strategy. What a wonderful counselor that God would do this great thing. They'd probably been trying to figure out for centuries, maybe even millennia, how was it that God was going to redeem the world? Ever since God showed mercy rather than wrath to that first couple, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, the angels knew death could not be the ultimate end for humanity because they knew God. They had no idea probably how God would do it. They can only speculate, maybe try to figure out, look into these things, these things they longed to look into. I imagine the angels kind of like eager children trying to peek through the wrapping paper. Anybody have any wrapped presents under your trees yet? We put our first few out last night. Already there's shaking going on, right? Trying to look through the paper, 
How many of you did that as a kid? How many of you totally cheated as a kid? How many of you became masters at unwrapping and rewrapping? Yeah, we're rotten, aren't we? Imagine the angels trying to figure all this out, you know, like peeking through, like, how's he going to do this? What's going to happen? And all their speculation and pondering about how God was going to redeem the world most likely never dawned on them that he would do it himself. What angel would ever imagine the creator God voluntarily leaving glory, leaving heaven, leaving the perfect to come into the mess that we've made of his creation? Psalm, 85, Psalm chapter 8, verse 5. says, God made him a little lower than the angels. Just imagine their surprise and delight. Seeing God in the manger. So that should result in our saying, wow. And the display of the wow of his wisdom. God doesn't stop with Christ. He continues to display his wisdom in and through the body of Christ, which is us. The church, you and me. Ephesians chapter three, just look at what scripture says here. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through who? Through who? Through us, through you, right? That the manifold wisdom of God, this wow factor, the wow of God is now manifested through you and me. So it may be made known to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places that we now embody carry with us the wow of God. Not just for humanity, but even for those in heavenly places, for the spirits, dominions, principalities, right? We are the wow because Christ is in us. Think about what the church is, this thing we call the body of Christ. We're we're definitely an unlikely bunch, right? Paul gets us to think about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I mean, we're not. We're not wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you have a noble birth. Any royalty in here? Biological royalty, that is. We know we're all sons and daughters of the king now in Christ, but biological royalty, no, we're just commoners. He goes on. But God chose what is foolish in the world. Shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. God chose what is low. Despised in the world. Even things that are not bring to nothing things that are so that there's a reason here's the why so that no human being might boast the presence of God that God gets all the glory 
What was it? This child that was coming. Why was he just a great king? Why was he just another David or Solomon? Why would he one of their legendary figures we talked about, like you know George Washington or you know? Why not one of those guys? Because if it had not been God, then someone else would have got the glory. Be able to boast. But God Himself coming, who gets all the glory? God Himself gets all the glory. God did this. No one else. Only God. Only God. And now we're that embodiment. So the church, as the body of Christ in all of our beautiful oddities, we're the living testimony of the wonderful counselor. We are his wisdom who has put this whole thing together in a way that surprises but also delights us all and all of our imperfections and all of our differences of opinions. God still uses his church, the true church, to do his work. This time of year always makes us reflect, you know, on the wonder-creating wisdom of God and even in my own salvation. I I first met Jesus right around this time of year, 1978. 44 years ago. My conversion was a miraculous one, just like all conversions. I heard that even though I was just a kid, I heard that just because I was growing up in a Christian family didn't automatically make me a Christian. That just because I went to church did not make me a follower of Jesus. Just because I owned a Bible did not make me a follower of Jesus. Just because I knew some Bible stories did not make me a follower of Jesus. There had to be that moment that I trusted Christ alone for my salvation. By his grace, I did that in 1978, November 1978, 44 years ago. That's my story. Every saving encounter with Christ, every act of conversion, it's what C.S. Lewis calls a case of being surprised by joy. Wow. When you come to Christ, you meet the wonderful counselor. You learn about his mesmerizing and miraculous plans for your life and it fills you with both surprise and delight of course it doesn't stop when you meet Jesus it continues all through life this delightful surprises they continue to come all throughout your life all throughout our life collectively as the church family I mean, three years ago we weren't even talking about the concept of campuses God has just brought opportunities to us. 10 years ago, we stepped out in faith to work with an unreached people group. No idea what God would do over the next 10 years. Now there's 20 house churches. No idea what God would do in our own church family here. We're seeing kids that we raised go out into ministry and pursue callings in their own lives. And it's exciting. 10 years ago, we didn't imagine we'd have a senior adult ministry that's so aggressive that They're going into eight different retirement homes to talk about the gospel. And you know that three weeks ago, a senior adult lady gave her life to Jesus in one of these senior adult homes because of you. You, the manifold wisdom of God. You carrying the mystery hidden through the ages. Who is this child? To us, this child is born. To us, a son is given. There is hope. 
No matter what's going on, there is hope. Hope in Jesus. Let's stand. Let's pray together. We're going to a time of response, a time of commitment. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for the hope that we have in you. God, I really can't imagine being in a city, in the nation of Israel, in the time of Isaiah, as they were looking all around and there were the armies of Assyria camped around their capital city. That feeling of desperation, that feeling of despair and hopelessness, panic. God, you gave them hope. God, we have a lot of folks in here today or watching online that's got despair. They've got hurt, pains. They've got questions. When is this going to end? How long is this going to last? When am I going to be better? When is my heart going to be healed? When am I going to figure out this money problem? But even deeper issues. What's going to happen to me when I die? What does it mean to be saved? How does that happen? But we carry a lot of questions with us because we're finite. A lot of things we don't understand. But God, I just pray you just make it real clear in our mind, heart here this morning. Like C.S. Lewis wrote, that Jesus, you are our solution. We have been given a child. A son has been born. And you are Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, because of your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection, you rescue us through faith. So God, I just pray first and foremost, if there's anyone here or watching online this morning who's never trusted in you, Jesus, as the Lord and Savior, that God, today would be that day they're surprised by joy, by hope. God, I pray for others here or watching that maybe they're followers of yours, they trust you, but God, they're just in a tough season. And they just need to be reminded of, wow, how much you love us, how much you've already done for us. And so God, minister to our hearts as we ponder these things, as we reflect on what you would have us to do in response. God, help people to come and get prayer if they need prayer. Come pray at the altar to you. People need to receive Christ to come forward and let's talk about that. People need to join this church family to take those steps. But God, help us not to leave without responding to you in a way that honors you. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name.